Hi, you guys, and welcome back to Talk and Smack. I am so excited for this guest. His name is Cooks, and he's all the way from London spending his time with us today. There are so many valuable pieces of information in this podcast, you guys. This is going to be one you're going to want to go back to and listen for a second, maybe even third time. If you guys love this episode, please reach out to me or Cooks and mention what you loved from the episode. If you guys want a part two with him, you're going to have to let me know. And if you want us to answer your questions on another episode, reach out. We are so excited. We're going to go ahead and get right into the podcast. Back in town, Baby, don't make me wait, body like, uh, uh, been a long while, and I just wanna taste this beer alone, I put it down when I come I'm so excited to have this guest on today. His name is Cooks and he is all the way in London right now and we got connected on threads. I was scrolling his social media and something that really stood out to me was one of his posts that, you know, asked the question of, do you own a business or does your business own you? And so I would love to start there. And, you know, what have you noticed with students that you're coaching, clients that you're helping in their businesses when they feel like, okay, I really don't feel like I own a business. I I feel like my business owns me. Yeah. So I think I'll start by being completely truthful and honest. I've actually got three of my own businesses. And the way that I stumbled into coaching was that I was seeking help. I was like, you know, I'd got to a point in my life with my businesses where I actually hated them. I was like working all the time. You know, if I didn't work, I didn't get paid. My boss was a lunatic, i.e. me. I was, you know... Whether I was unwell, whether I was on holiday, I was just working, working, working because my business wouldn't exist if I wasn't there. And I just, I didn't want that. And I knew that there had to be a better way. So I decided to seek help and I stumbled across someone that was a business coach. And if I'm being honest, um, my ego got in the way and I was like, look, who's this person that's going to teach me about business? I've done all these great things. I put my money on the line. I risked it all. And this person's going to try and teach me. Um, but a friend of mine had been become even more successful and one of the most successful people I know by doing coaching. So I thought, let me at least check it out. And honestly, it was the most transformative thing that I ever did. And I essentially became a student again, because the truth is I hadn't learned about how to build a business. Um, I basically created myself a job that I couldn't leave. And that's where that whole post came from, that most of us were never really taught how to build a business. We're never really taught what a business is. And um, that's the key difference. So look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a game. I'm going to test you. Um, and I want to see what your definition of a business, business is. So let me ask you, what's your definition of a business? Oh, man, I feel like, honestly, like, from the different conferences I've gone to, I've been asked the same question. And I'm okay. like, I don't own a business, like my business owns me. And so I feel like when you look at a business, I see structures. I see like, okay, every Tuesday at this time, we're doing this meeting for this. I see strategy. I see a lot of systems in place that if you were to take a step back from your business, if you were to go on vacation or holiday, the business should be able to run without you. But I think so many of us create businesses that need us that when we go on vacation, we're still getting calls from employees, we're still getting calls from clients, and we're not making money when we're away from it. So that's, that's the tough part about it is I think a business should be able to run without you. But so many of us create businesses that absolutely need us. Absolutely. And so I, I was exactly the same. 
And this phrase that I'm about to share with you changed the, the landscape, the paradigm shift in my mind of what a business is. So um, if this resonates with anyone, please write it down. But a business is this. A business is a commercial and profitable enterprise that works without you, if you wish. So what that means is you could call in on Monday and go, hey, I'm going away for six months and the business will not only work, but it will most likely thrive without you being there. And now the only way to do that is to actually replace yourself every single day. Now, most of us, you know, when we get into business, we're like, oh, you know, it's going to be better if I do it myself. It's quicker if I do it myself. I won't be able to find someone that can do it as good as me. And the truth is you can't. But by taking on that mindset, really what that means is you're never, ever, ever going to get out of that business. And that business will never exist without you because you are the business. And so like simple things like admin, you know, like invoicing and bookkeeping and collecting money, paying money, really that should be someone else's job. Because let's say as a lash technician, that's your audience, right? A lash technician. How much could a lash technician make in an hour? A really good lash, te lash, lash technician. It, de it depends on your pricing. I charge $100 an hour for my right. time. I know right. there are other artists that I think charge like one, 130 140 for their time. Right. And, you know, exactly what you're leading into saying, like when I'm coaching, when I'm doing other things, my team can be making those prices and the business can take a certain amount of that. And right. I'm making more money selling online courses or doing in-person coaching. I'm making right. $270 an hour for my right. time when I do a course or when I do an in-person like Zoom call. And so it's it's me realizing, and I would love to pick your brain on this too, to be like, okay, where can we go with this? But I'm so realizing- yeah, no, I love I love the fact that you're kind of doing that and realizing it. And I suspect a lot of people may not have actually thought about uh, the, the the issue of them doing all these things in their business in this way. So so here goes and uh, hopefully it sticks. So let's say, for example, as a lash tech technician, you can charge one hundred and fifty dollars an hour. Right. And um, but you're doing, I don't know, let's say social media posting. So you've created the content, but you're posting on social media. Now, to pay someone a salary of $25,000 a year, do you know what that works out to as an hourly rate? No. So it works out to $12 an hour. So what that means is by you choosing to post on social media yourself, you're choosing to do a $12 an hour task where you could be charging $150 an hour. So even by charging $150 an hour as a lab, lab technician, and paying someone $12 an hour, of course, you're not making $150, you're making, what, $138? But you're still making $138 after paying someone $12 for an hour's work doing your social media posting. And, and so when, once you start to realize the value of you as the business owner and the value of your time, um, it starts to change the way in which you think about what you choose to do in a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and where your priorities really should be. Because, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people. I'm fortunate that I get to coach lots of different types of people. And um, I talk to a lot of people that charge $150, $200, $300 an hour. But for some reason, they're choosing for 60 to 70% of the week to do emails, to do posting on social media, to do invoicing. Uh, I don't know, to go and buy stock for their shop. And it's not really their job. So once you start to think in that way that actually, look, there's jobs in the business that other people should be doing, 
my time is more valuable elsewhere. That's where the shift starts. And a great book um, I can recommend, if I may, um, is called The E-Myth. So the letter E for echo and myth as in mythology. So The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Um, it's, it's like a, a fantastic book full of stories that really illustrates the difference between someone who is what's known as a technician. So they're really good at a technical skill. And the transition that you need to be, make into becoming a manager, where you might have a couple of staff, staff and you're managing that staff while still being a technician. And then the final transition into an entrepreneur, where you actually own an entity and you're building an entity where you've got managers that manage your, um, your staff for you. So mm -hmm. that's the kind of journey that someone could, could go on if they wish to build a business to work more without them and for that business to be profitable. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I love that you recommended that book because literally, I'm not joking you, right before we came on this call, I was scrolling threads and someone recommended that book. And she oh, really? is actually, she owns a lash business. She's in Canada and she's been very successful. And so I literally, I took a screenshot of it. So now that's twice in one day, I've heard that I need to read meant this to book. Be. Meant to be. Exactly. So Speaking of the three businesses that you own, I know that we have talk, talked a little bit off camera. I would love to hear about what you did with your dad's sauce and how okay. you grew that. And did you ever think that that was possible? So, um, yeah, that, that business is like what a big chunk of my life story so far. Um, so my, my dad um, was born in Africa. He came to the UK in like the 60s. Um, and so the food that he grew up eating was really spicy, but kind of Indian, African inspired food. And so back in the days, he made up his own chili sauce. Oh, you guys call it hot sauce, right? So I'll try and reference uh, using your terminology. So he made up his own hot sauce, uh, you know, family barbecues and other places. And then he used to work as a chef and his customers loved the sauce. They used to take it away in containers until someone said to him, look, try and bottle it and sell it. So he did. Um, he's a creative person, but he's not really a salesperson. Uh, and he didn't have much luck. And uh, one day I remember, you know, him coming home and he's like soaking wet from the rain. He had this like really cheap blue plastic bag full of bottles. And we're like, oh, man, Pops, what are you doing now? Because growing up, he'd always do these weird and wacky things. Like he's always trying to make money or he was always trying to. He turned up with a food truck outside of our house one time and like wired it through the window to keep it powered overnight. Um, so we grew up knowing that he'd do these crazy things. And so he'd been out trying to sell this sauce, but we knew the sauce was good because people loved it so much. And a couple of weeks later, I saw an advert at a big food exhibition called the BBC Good Food Show here in London. And, you know, 30,000 people over the course of a weekend, they descend on this venue just to try delicious food from small companies. So I put it, I, I booked a stand for 900 pounds on my credit card came home and told my family and I was like, look, guys, we need to make a thousand bottles of hot sauce so that I can pay off my credit card. And like, thankfully, my family said yes. So we turned to my dad and we're like, Pops, look, um, actually, I've got a bottle of it here. Uh, I was like, Pops, look, we need to make the sauce. And he didn't actually have a recipe. He was like, oh, I just kind of throw it together. So we spent the next nine days like destroying my mom's kitchen, uh, you know, chilies everywhere, sauce everywhere. But we ended up making the sauce, taking it to this show. and it sold out like it sold out over the course of the weekend we paid back my credit card and we just sat there as a family of seven we we're like oh man we might actually have something here 
So for the next three or four years, we did more of these kind of food shows and the name started to get a bit bigger and bigger and bigger. And then one day we got picked up by um, the BBC. So I don't know who the equivalent network is in America, but imagine the number one network in America picking up your business. That's what happened to us in the UK. So they filmed us for three months, put us on national TV, and then it just went crazy. And we had the opportunity to work with the biggest, one of the biggest supermarkets in the country. So the equivalent of Walmart, we had the opportunity to pitch them during the TV show. And they're like, yeah, we're going to list your product. You know, um, we're going to help you and da, 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 da. So we thought we'd won the lottery. And um, as soon as the show was over, it was nothing like we'd expected, you know, it, it was like, you know, it's working with a beast, a corporation. And here's us making sauce in our garden shed by hand, you know, picking chilies, trying to supply this big company. And, and it didn't really work out. But the point is that that's actually when the business began. So from that point, we carried on kind of evenings and weekends working on the business um, until eventually I was self-funding it. I actually went out and raised money for the company, sold part of the company to investors. I'd never done that before. Um, and from that point, things started to change once again. So we listed in major, major supermarkets. I started exporting out to New York, to South Africa, to Paris. Um, we were getting into, you know, we were in the press. Um, we got invited to number 10 Downing Street, so the equivalent of the White House, uh, to talk about entrepreneurship and our product. Um, and the brand just started to go everywhere and started to scale and grow and grow and grow um and yeah and and you know we we then did some crowdfunding raised more money for the business through crowdfunding and you know got the valuation up to like 1.6 1.7 million um from something that started with actually 900 pounds of debt on my credit card um over a, you know a course of years but that's that's what we managed to do and then we pivoted into uh crisps you guys call it uh, chips right we call it crisps sorry chips we pivoted into crisps and um, that's what we kind of focus on now. And in fact, we're like reinvigorating, relaunching the brand because we had a, a year or two out. My family had left and it wasn't fun anymore. And it was just like a functional thing. So I was actually going to shut the business down. But then my brother, you know, he decided to quit his corporate job where he's making six figures and said, I'm going to join the family business again. And so he invested and it's about to go on another another adventure so that's that's the family business and, and the family story that's so cool I, I feel like I get chills listening to that story like hearing your dad just showing up with a food truck like all right let's go <laughs> like and then from you taking the initiative to be like hey like we have something here like I'm gonna go right. put this on my credit card to make this work yeah. and I feel like that starts with a huge piece of your mindset and curiosity almost too, just to be like, you know what, let's try this. Like, let's see if it really is something that we can build into something mm. so much bigger than ourselves. Mm. And obviously along the way, like we touched on in the beginning, like you can't do every single job yourself and being able to, you know, what was that like building out the business to, you know, changing hands in the sense of like, okay, we're not making the chili sauce ourselves. Like right. we are, um, you know, giving this job to someone else to do now and package. And of course, you're not doing all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that was that hard in the beginning? It was, it was because, you know, almost everyone we turned to wanted to change the product so that it fit their systems and their processes. And, you know, the quality was terrible. And so it took us a long time to find someone to make the product. But interestingly, 
you know, when it comes to building a business, uh, especially like when you're working with your family, actually, we were not the right people in the right jobs within the business, if I'm being completely honest. And, and you know, we, that caused a lot of problems. You know, we were, it was the wrong people doing the wrong jobs, nothing to do with the family or the individuals. But, you know, my role as the person that was at the CEO, I didn't know at the time. It took me a long time to learn that actually it would have been better hiring out, hiring external people rather than just giving my youngest brother a job because I could. You know, he wasn't ready. He wasn't trained or like my middle brother or my dad. My dad should have just been the face of the business, nothing else. But, you know, we gave him jobs to do. And so, you know, knowing what I know know now, um, you know, you have to bring in a team full of the right people to be able to build your business. And so even if it's, let's say, a lash tech business, you know, uh, and you're hiring someone to do the, 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 the lash tech work, but you might have a certain style in your studio. You know, people might come to you because you're funny. People might come to you because you, you're really empathetic. And so when you're recruiting your next lash tech, you can't just hire your friend because she's qualified. Uh, you know, you have to find the person with the right attitude that matches your attitude and why the people are coming to you already and hire that person, which is not always easy to do. Um, so that was a big lesson for me, uh, as well as obviously outsourcing the product, but actually making sure that we've got the right people in the business, which, which is what we, you know, we're doing now and we're recruiting the right people now in that particular business. Um, but yeah, it was, that was interesting learning along the way. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think about, you know, I've had, I think probably 15 employees over the years. I have a team of five now. And something I learned the hard way is you can teach anyone the skill, you can teach anyone the craft, right. but you cannot necessarily teach them how to be bubbly with clients or like ask them questions, not to be super shy. And right, like, right. they have to kind of get out of their comfort zone a little bit. And obviously, if you see potential in someone, you can work with them to get them up to your standard. Um, but looking at it from a standpoint of like we were talking about earlier, me sitting there and doing the actual job, me bringing in $100 an hour and, you know, my my employees taking clients and their rate is a little bit lower. But looking at that, like I'm in a place where I'm doing so many different things in my business. And I would love your opinion on this. You know, I have apparel, I have the podcast, I have my salon, I have my own clientele, and then I have online courses and in-person training. And I started to look at it from a standpoint of I'm wasting my time doing the apparel. So I closed that down. I'm wasting my time when I'm taking clients because it's not the thing I'm really good at it, but it's not the thing that lights me up anymore. It's not the thing that's going to be able to scale my business. What advice would you have for someone like me in my position and for the listeners who are in, the, in a similar boat? Um, so, so two things. Uh, the first one is, you know, what you were talking about in terms of the people that you bring in and whether they're bubbly or whatever. You know, one thing that I've learned the hard way as well, kind of reflecting on what you're saying is that you know, you can only open the door for certain people. You know, you can't change someone's attitude. They are who they are. And oddly enough, um, that when you make that recruitment decision, when you're putting your advert out or you're, you're putting out your marketing to find that person, it's at that point that you can identify and deselect the wrong type of attitude and bring in the right attitude during the recruitment process. I only just learned this, you know, in, in the recent years. Um, but you have to hire for attitude first and skill second. Like that's a non-negotiable. 
if you want a successful business. Now, going on to what you were saying in terms of like, where do you focus your attention? Um, I suppose the best analogy that I can give is like, let's say you're using, do you guys have Waze or like Google Maps when you're driving around? What do you use? We use, I use Waze. I, per- Waze, okay. I so personally Waze. love that. Okay, let's use Waze as an example. So when you're using Waze, you open up the app. The first thing that you do is you put in a zip code, you call it, right? You put in a zip mm-hmm. code. And then you hit go, Waze throws up a, a, a way to get there. So let's say you're, you know, we're driving, we're going to this destination, but we decide to pull off for a coffee. We've gone off the destination, right? Um, when we set off again, Waze will reroute you and it will tell you, okay, it's going to take another 30 minutes. It's going to take this amount of time to get there. But ultimately, you still end up at that particular zip code, right? Now, what would happen if there was no zip code in Waze? Where would you end up? Nowhere. Wherever, right. you, wherever you end up most, going. Most business owners, like even if they've got multiple uh, you know, things that they're working on, they don't have that final zip code in Waze. So the zip code is like the goal for you, your personal life or for your business. And without that, it's impossible to make a decision. So let's say, for example, like where in the States are you based? I'm in Seattle, Washington. So the Seattle. Pacific Northwest. Right. Okay. So let's say you're, you're going from, what's the next state next to you? Oregon. Oregon. Okay. So let's say you're going from Seattle to Oregon. Um, and another one after that? California. Seattle, Oregon, California. So let's say, I don't know, Seattle is your, uh, your, co- your coaching and your courses. Um, Oregon can be, um, you know, your, your actual uh, practice, let's say, where you do the Lash Tech business. And then the last destination, California, can be, I don't know, uh, let's say you doing the actual tech work, the Lash technic- Technician's work. That's totally fine because you know the, the, the final destination is California, i.e. Lash Technician's work. So you can plan your route accordingly. But at least you know what your final destination is and you can make some decisions along the way. If you don't have that mapped out, then you're going to be in that position where you're like, okay, where should I focus my attention? Because some people, you know, personally, they may have a goal of, I want to buy a house or I, I want to travel or I only want to work six months of the year and I want to do this for the, the other part time of the year. And once you have that sense of clarity, and it's not always possible to do that in one sitting, it could take months of working on getting that clarity. But once you have that clarity, then you can reverse engineer the decisions that you make in your business to deliver that dream life or that dream business that you have in mind for yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. And he, like hearing what you're saying, saying like, if you don't have a clear destination, if you don't have that clear goal of what you want, you're right. going to be, you're not going to know what direction you're supposed to be going in. You're not going to have, right. be able to come up with a content strategy. You're not going to be able to come up with a, you know, cash flow strategy and yeah, yeah, working exactly. on becoming more productive in your business with your employees, whatever that looks like. Right. And something we talked about off camera was like strategies to have better cash flow, to put better structures and systems in place. Mm-hmm. So for someone who feels like I don't have any of that together, is there somewhere you recommend like this is where we should start with you to get you on that path to your destination? Yeah. So so when um, when I'm coaching clients, there's a uh, tool that I use called the, the money machine. A uh, very simple tool, and uh, there's five key metrics to be measuring in your business. Okay, so um, 
The first, and, and this is in order that you should be measuring them. The first is your profit margin. Okay, so knowing what your, I don't know where this thumbs, this thumbs up thing keeps coming from. But the first is your profit margin. Um, the second thing to look at is your conversion rate. So, you know, excuse me if I'm repeating what people know already. Conversion rate mean, meaning, you know, you get 10 inquiries coming through the door, five of them become clients, you've got a 50% conversion rate. So it's margin, it's conversion rate. The next thing you want to look at is the average spend. When someone comes to you, how much are they spending on average? Uh, then after that is the, the number of transactions in a year. So if someone's coming in and getting some lash work done, how many times a year are they coming in? And the last thing actually that you want to be looking at is lead generation. So how many new leads are coming in? And the reason lead generation is last is because it costs the most amount of money. It takes the most amount of time and the most amount of effort. Most people, if you've been in business for a little while, uh, you know, you've got a database of people that have shown interest, time wasters, potential clients, people that are clients already, people that did some business with you one time. But if you've got that in a database, even if it's a spreadsheet, that's your start point to do some marketing. And if you're measuring those five metrics and you can increase them, each of them by 10% over the course of the year. So let's say your, your margins, I don't know, let's say you're making a 30% profit margin and you increase that by 10%. So from 30% to 33% uh, across the board on all those five metrics, you would, if I remember correctly, the turnover in your business would go up uh, 46%. So if you're doing 200 grand a year in your business, that goes up to something like 280 grand or 260 grand, something like that, uh, just by increasing those metrics by 10% across the board. But most importantly, your profit margin goes from, I don't know, let's say 50K, it goes up to 80, 80K. So your profit margins shoot up like 70%. So just by focusing on those five metrics, your business turns into a money machine. And the first one is your profit margin. And how do you increase your profit margin? Maybe you increase your prices, reduce your costs. But then that leads to, if you do increase your prices, really knowing how to sell your services on uh, trust and value. Because that's the only reason people are going to pay more. Otherwise, if you're selling on price and discounting and you know, special offers, it's a race to the bottom because there's, there's not enough profit in it to sustain your business. Oh my gosh, I love that, especially too, because so many people in the lash industry, and I would be willing to say small business owners as a whole, they yeah. don't have a grasp on their numbers. They don't know mm. what their profit margins are. They don't know what their conversion rate is, what their average spend, number of transactions, and they have, you know, they feel like they're working on lead generation, but they don't know where the leads are actually coming from. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that I had to get really clear on my business in the last year, because I was like, I feel like I'm making money, but I don't know where it's going. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, until you really look at the numbers and like, we've been talking about this whole time, my time is better spent somewhere else. So hiring a bookkeeper, hiring a CPA, or I've recently hired another coach to help me really get clear on my numbers. And I think that's something a lot of small business owners don't see yeah. the value in, in the beginning. But if I could have invested, you know, $10,000 three years ago to have a better grip on this, my mm. business would be 10 times further than it is now. And so I guess my next, this leads me to my next question of, you know, for anyone feeling like, 
I don't know if I should invest in a coach. I don't know if I should do this. What Mm -hmm. advice would you say to them? Because I know you were in the same position. You said it wasn't until you hired coaches that you were like, oh my gosh, finally, my mind is open. So um, I would say, I mean, answering in two parts, just to add on to the last segment we were talking about, again, being completely transparent and honest, I didn't know my, my numbers. I didn't know my metrics at all. Those five key metrics for the money machine. I had no idea. It took me like a year to somehow create a system, a crappy system, I have to say, because I made it, but to create some kind of system where I could start to track these things. Uh, but you have to start somewhere. You know, even if you know, you're doing this part time and you're maybe thinking to transition from your day job to your, your side hustle, you know, it may be worth not taking on that job that's paying you, but to free up that hour just to start working on this stuff. Because the key to success in building a business is working on and not in the business. The key difference being in the business is doing the actual tech lab tech work or the actual invoicing, the sales calls, the marketing. On the business is like what we're talking about now, being strategic, understanding your metrics, creating dashboards. And that's the, the, the difference. And I suppose that leads on to investing in a coach, right? Um, and if, again, being completely transparent, um, I was terrified of investing in a coach. Like when I first started coaching, you know, luckily they had like a, um, a group coaching offer. So that was like 700 pounds plus or 600 pounds plus VAT a month. So that's like, it was like 720 pounds a month. I'd, I'd never invested in myself or in coaching in any way, shape or form before. And I was terrified. I was like, what's going to happen? Like that's so much money. And my mindset was, was not right at that time but i knew no different and and so actually what i would say to someone is forget 10k maybe they've got a thousand maybe they've got 500 maybe they've got a hundred dollars to start with i would actually say the first place to invest is in yourself you know buy a book on self-development jump on a youtube course and finish the damn course of how to self-develop and if they're asking you questions, pause the video, write down the answers, do the, do the work, right? Because once you've done the work to develop yourself, then the next step is, you know what? I'm actually looking for a mentor. I'm looking for someone to help me. And if you can't find someone to help you for free and you've got a rich uncle or something like that, then you have to pay for it. That's just how it works, right? And so you have to find someone that you're comfortable with. And actually the right coach, they'll almost try and convince you not to work with them. You know what I mean? Like They'll be like, look, go and explore a million other coaches. Go and check someone else out. Check someone else out. Check someone else out. I work in this way. These are my fees. These are my testimonials. I know I can get results. I pretty much guarantee them. But don't speak to me. Don't trust me in what I'm saying. Do your own work. I want you to find the right person for you. And, and the chances are, if you're hearing that from someone, you're going to be like, uh, no, 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 I, I want to work with you. And it's not like a sales trick or anything like that. It's just a, if you come from a genuine, clean hearted place and you want the best for the person, chances are they'll want to work with you. Uh, but if someone's looking to invest in coaching, first, I'd say invest in yourself. If you've done that, then work with someone that you connect with. That's, that's the main thing, because, you know, you have to be able to not only get, be coachable and have a growth mindset. But you have to be willing to do the work that comes with it. Because, you know, anyone can coach. 
anyone can coach that you know someone you just have to be one step ahead of the person that you're coaching you could read a book between sessions or like go online to ask to find some questions and then coach your client but you may not know anything more than them but the, the truth of it is is how are you going to help that person get results and are your questions powerful enough to break down old things in their mind to create new ways of thinking that are going to help them achieve their goals and mm-hmm. you have to find the right person to help you do that Exactly. And I think the most significant thing that you said there too, is you have to be willing to do the work. Mm. I know so many courses, I've bought $10 courses, $100 courses, I spent thousands on courses, and I have not signed in and looked at any video. (laughs) And it's like, if you and especially if you're working with the coach one on one, and you have like time to hop on a call with them, to be able to sit there, be ready, like get your mind right. And one thing you said was have that growth mindset. Mm. And I feel like some people are not there yet. And you're right, like, maybe that's something where you need to start with a book, if you can commit and promise to yourself, okay, I'm going to read this 150 page book about mindset. And then once I do that, then I can invest in this. And I need to make a promise to myself that I am going to do the work. Because you need to have that action. You can't just manifest it and come out of thin air. Come to me universe, give me million dollars, millions of dollars, like you have to do the work. Like it just doesn't make sense. Otherwise, you have to turn up. And and the other Mm. thing is, if you're actually investing with a coach, like, it doesn't, it just doesn't comprehend in my mind Like you're paying to be there with this person. They're giving you some game. Yet when you finish that session, you pack away what you've learned and then you just carry on with your life as normal and then kind of complain that nothing's changed. The coach was crap. They suck. But, and, and this is it. Like even, you know, for, for me as, as an entrepreneur, I still pay for my own coach. I've got a separate coach. I, I could get coached for, for free, but I pay for a coach because the pain of paying for something means I'm turning up and I want to do the work. Um, but even when I'm looking to work with someone new, if I get a hint of them being of a fixed mindset, you know, if, if I say something and they go, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, and I'm like, okay, well, look, you're right. No problems. Um, when you're ready, we'll speak. Because it's never really about the money. It's it's actually more so about them. If you if you've done your job right as a as a coach or a consultant, um, then the, you know the right people come to you, and you resonate with the right people. Hmm. I love that. I think that's so true. And I mean, even for, speaking from my own experience, anytime I've had like a. Uh, like, I don't know about this course, like I got a weird feeling about it, or I feel like the coach is really trying to sell me on it. Mm. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be the best idea. And then I end up investing and I end up going through it and being like, oh, this is why I had that intuition. This is why I had that feeling. But I feel like it goes back to that mindset of like, it's okay to trust myself. It's okay to invest in myself and being able to, you know, for anyone listening who feels like you're not there with your mindset. I know you mentioned this book. Are there any other things that you feel like helped grow your mindset or keep you from being like, you know what, I am going to be a lifelong student. I know I don't know everything. I know I know a lot, but there's still so much to learn and grow from. Uh, Well, I suppose, like, growing up, I grew up in the east of London, which, uh, you know, didn't have a lot uh, at the time. It was, the, like, the rough part of London. 
And my first job when I was 16 was in the west of London. Um, and, you know, it's a completely different world. Lambos and Rolls Royces, five-star hotels, people, people going on holidays all of the time, you know, Gucci, LV on a high street, you know, it's, it's just a different world. And my first job working in H&M on the weekends was there. So I'd travel across London, seeing London change. And I'd be like, man, how, how are these kids who are my age doing all this incredible stuff? And so that set me on the path of just knowing I wanted better for myself. And I, I did have an ego. I did have things that were holding me back. A lot of like um, a limiting beliefs that I didn't know I had. Um, but I, fr- I met someone who was similar to me from South London. And he was like, you know, the guy was a hustler. He was like Will Smith charming before he smacked up Chris Rock. But, you know, the good Will Smith that we grew up uh, knowing and loving. Um, And my first book that I ever read after leaving school was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Kiyosaki, by Robert Kiyosaki. And that was like a gateway drug for self-improvement, right, for most people. So I read that book and that just set me on a journey of like, oh, cool. Let me read the next book. Because what happens is once you start reading books and developing yourself, when you meet another person of the same wavelength, you'll be like, oh, you know what? I read this book, Rich Dad. And they'll be like, oh, I've read Rich Dad. And then you have a little conversation about it. And then they might say, oh, you know what I recommend? Uh, check out The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Great book on the power of compounding effort and momentum. And you're like, oh, that's a great book. You know, let, let, me, let me buy that. Let me check it out. And then it snowballs. And I, I think once the... Um, once the kind of blinds come off and you kind of start seeing through you know, what you thought you knew and you start learning all these new things of actually how your life can get better, it becomes quite addictive. You know, why would you want to go back to having a worse life? You, you wouldn't. Uh, and so you, for me at least, I can't speak for anyone else, for me at least, I then actively started to seek out those types of people, those types of books, that type of knowledge. Um, and, you know, then I started, I, I've always been self-curious, like in a situation, what did I do? What was my part in that situation? It's so easy to blame everyone else, but I was like, you know what? I did something in that situation. Even if the other person was like a dick, you know, I don't know if you can bleep that out, but if the other person was whatever, you know, what's my part in that? Oh, you know what? Actually, I continued to hang with that person. I decided to give that person a second, third, fourth and fifth chance. That's on me. That's not on them. And, you know, by I, I love doing like online assessments, personality tests and things like that, just to learn about me. Because when I discover that there's a gap, I'm like, oh, OK, maybe I can learn a new skill to fill that gap. So another great book I can recommend is called uh, Never Split the Difference by a guy called Chris Voss. He's an ex um, FBI negotiator. Uh, you know, incredible book, super powerful kind of you know if you take it in the wrong context it can be manipulative but actually it's life skills you know listening to how people actually speak using terminology like you know it feels like you're saying this it sounds like you're saying that or versus pointing fingers and there's loads of really cool things in there but just doing something as simple as that transforms the power of relationships that you have with people um and so that's kind of my journey into this whole world and how I've ended up doing what I'm doing and there's still the reason I say I'm a lifelong student is because 
I've just learned that if I say I know everything, the very next minute, I'm going to know nothing and I'll be in trouble. So I'm forever learning, whether whether it's from like a three-year-old or someone who's 80 or 90 years old, it's there's something to learn from everyone. Oh my gosh, I love that. I think I think it just all ties into being a coachable student and wanting to make a difference and actually take action on the things that you are learning because we could be lifelong students all day long but we don't yeah, if yeah, we don't yeah. take any of that knowledge and apply it to our business to our lives nothing's going to change we're going to have a lot more knowledge know, yeah you and I probably both know a ton of people they've read all the books so that, yeah I, yeah I know that book I know this I know that and they you're like well have you done the stuff yeah, but yeah, yeah. Okay, man. Like, just read the book, enjoy it. But you know that they won't ever do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, taking action. Be be. You have to. So there's a cool formula that we teach. Um. Sorry, a complete pivot. A very cool formula I want to share with you, and hopefully it helps people that listen to this. Um. So if you want, if you do want to write it down, anyone who's listening, uh, feel feel free to do so. If you write the word B B E. Uh, then the times symbol, so the X or multi- multiply symbol, so B times, and then the word do, D-O, and then the equals symbol, have. Okay, so B times do equals have. Now, the purpose of that equation is that we all know what we want to have in our lives, right? I want to have a six-pack. Okay, what do I need to do? I need to go to the gym be in a calorie deficit and eat whole foods or whatever the thing is, right? If I do that, I'll have uh, the six pack. But the step before the B, the most powerful thing is the thing that most people miss, myself included until I learned about this and had to work on it. But in order to have the six pack, you need to be a disciplined person. You need to be someone that says no to parties on Friday nights and takeout. You need to be someone uh, who is diligent and committed. You need to be uh, you know, someone who, who's willing to learn about nutrition. You have to be a certain type of person in order to do the things that you need to do successfully to have what you want to have. So that be, do, have formula applies to anything that you want in life. You want to have the mansion with 10 houses? What do you need to do? You need to build a business that's generating millions of dollars a year. Okay, then who do you need to be? You need to be a fantastic entrepreneur. You need to be an incredible business person. You need to be a team builder, you need to be uh, a negotiator, you need to be someone who understands finances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it's a really cool formula if, if people want to use it that can help you get what you want in life. That's an amazing formula. I literally have my notebook right here and I wrote it down. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm like, that is, it's, it's, it's so funny because I feel like it's often the thing that is so simple that makes the most impact and like really opens our mind up to making those changes. And this is something I'm going to put on my vision board. I'm going to write it down on a post-it note and I'm going to have it in front of me so I can see that. And then I think I would even take it a step further and break it down to be like, okay, I'm going to list the 10 things I want to have. I want to list the 10 things I need to do to get there. And I'm going to list the 10 ways of how I need to be to be this person to get to that goal. Because I think that can be, I'm a huge journaler. And so I feel like that can be so powerful to just 
you know, even just getting something on pen and paper, if you like your laptop better, writing it down can make it a little bit more tangible in my mind. I feel like that's something that helps me, but. Do you want another think... little game? Do you want another yes. little game? That you can <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is a cool game to almost be kind to yourself uh, and to help you move forward. So let's say uh, you want to be more disciplined. Okay. So you score yourself out of 10 on how disciplined you are, right? So zero being shocking, like zero discipline, the worst of the worst, 10 being, I don't know, like a German uh, engineering legend, you know, the most efficient and disciplined person in the world. So you score yourself out of 10. Let's say you're a five. Now, rather than being mean to yourself and unkind to yourself, you know, you remove the emotion and you go, you know what? I'm a five. That's cool. I am what I am. And then you ask yourself the question, um, what do I need to do to move myself two points forward? How do I get to a seven from a five? And then you just list out some things that you can do. You know, maybe to be more disciplined, um, you need to get someone to hold you accountable. That's going to help you move forward a tiny bit. Maybe to be more disciplined, uh, you need to get to sleep earlier by 15 minutes so you can wake up a little bit earlier the next day. To be more disciplined, you know, you leave your phone outside your bedroom when you sleep at night. Can you do that? But maybe it will help. I don't know. But, you know, you list out some stuff that you can do that you can stack on top of habits that you're already doing that will move you from a five to a seven. So it's just like a cool game to be able to scale yourself and go, right, okay, I am where I am. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just, it is what it is. And now I want to move from here to here. And just pick one thing to work on for like a week or even a month. Like you can't do it all at once. So it's a, it's a cool tool. I love that. Um, especially hearing you say you can't do it all at once. Cause I feel like so many of us are all or nothing. It's like, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go to the gym every day, change my eating (laughs) habits, do all of this. And so often we fail those goals because we try to do the all or nothing method. And, you know, we can't, we can't do that. We have to take it step by step. And, you know, reading James clear book, um, Oh my gosh, what is it even? Atomic habits. Thank you. I was like, I know there's a word in front of habits. Um, That one, talking about habits, habit stacking, exactly like you said of, you know, how can I hold myself accountable? How can I do this? It is so helpful. But anyways, I feel like we, you have covered so much and I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your time with us. Is there anything, any last little bits of advice you have for anyone listening? And then would you Um, please share where we can connect with you on social media? uh, So the best place to connect with me is on Instagram. So at Cooks Sahota, K-O-O-K-S-S-A-H-O-T-A. And genuinely, if, if someone wants to connect with me, send me a message, any questions they've got about their business, any problems, I'll send them a voice note back and help as much as I can. Um, You know, it's not easy trying to build your dream life and do anything for yourself. And so I, I, I wish I had someone that I could turn to and someone I could ask a question to maybe when I wasn't ready to invest in myself or when I didn't have money. Um, and so I'm totally willing to do that. I don't want anything in, in return. Um, it's just cool to connect with people, you know, you and me connecting I, like this is the best thing in the world to me. Um, and if I'm going to leave, I think that's a big, that's a big uh, request to leave you with something quite meaningful. 
you know, I, I would say, you know, just, just be kind to yourself. You are where you are. Um, and that's your start point. Um, you know, you can't compare yourself to anyone else there, you know, where they are might be a hundred days or a thousand days ahead of you. You are where you are. And so you start there and just do one thing at a time. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be grand. Like I, I set myself tiny goals when I started working out, which was to do five push-ups, five squats and five sit-ups in a day. That means I worked out. Happy days. I did that for 90 days. I, I said I worked out. But that, I, anyone can achieve that. But I did it because I wanted to get the habit. So whatever you need for you to move yourself just a tiny bit forward, do that and just build on that every single day and like before you know it your your life transforms oh i love that i feel like for anyone listening you might want to go back and listen to that a second time because even that is so much value and like it's it's something we need to tell ourselves over and over and it's okay that you need to tell yourself that again and you're gonna get there and i just want to thank you so much for coming on and we'll have everything linked in the show notes thank you guys so much for listening don't forget to take a screenshot wherever you listen and take us both on social media and we will see you guys in the next episode